This coming weekend, the Gamecocks are going to be seeing four blue-chip targets announcing their commitments. Are they leaning towards South Carolina or a different school? I have a special guest on today's show to go into that and more on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, as always, Andrew Lyon. Thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And on today's show, I'm going to have Sports Illustrated's John Garcia Jr. joining me to discuss some Gamecock recruiting. The Gamecocks have a big weekend upcoming with four blue chip prospects announcing where they'll be heading. Those four prospects being Marquis Anderson, Oluwatison Babale, Carmelo Taylor, and Monty Rams. Where could they be leaning? Plus, what is the latest on five-star edge defender Nicholas Harper? And what reverberating impacts could a Dante Reno reclassification have on another elite quarterback prospect from the 2024 recruiting cycle. I'll be talking with John Garcia Jr. about all of that today on the show, and I don't want to take up too much time, so without further ado, let's go on ahead and get on right into the interview. All right, Gamecock Nation, I am pleased to be joined once again by Lockdown's recruiting insider, John Garcia Jr. John Garcia Jr. is the Director of Football Recruiting for Sports Illustrated and a College Football Recruiting Analyst for SI Now. SI All-American, and Yellowhammer football, covering the best high school football in the state of Alabama. Uh, John, really appreciate having you on the show once again. Good to be back on with you, Andrew. There's uh, there's always a lot to talk about with, with uh, USC these days, so happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And before I get into my questions today with John Garcia, I want to let y'all know that today's recruiting video is brought to you by LinkedIn, the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidate you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions still apply. All right, John, so let's go ahead and get into what is going to be a really big weekend for the South Carolina Gamecocks on the recruiting front in terms of targets announcing their commitments. I'll start off with four-star offensive lineman Marquis Anderson. He is committing on July the 31st and has been a big priority target for the Gamecocks in this recruiting cycle. But after having read some articles online throughout this week, it seems like North Carolina is making a push here and might have a bigger say this coming Sunday when Anderson commits. It's a big recruiting battle considering that the Gamecocks have a lot of upperclassmen in the two deep on the offensive line and need to get guys like Anderson for the 2023 cycle. So, John, simply put, uh, where do things stand at this moment with Marquis Anderson? Yeah, Andrew, I'm going coin flip status. Carolina versus Carolina here, Gamecocks versus Tar Heels. I mean, just kind of the the quintessential battle that that we expect to see from these two programs. Uh, I do think that there have been some other schools that have kind of popped in and out of the race, but these two have been the most consistent, and, and I think both of them have a big need at the position, and there's a little bit more optimism, I think, at North Carolina today, as you mentioned, but still not over uh you know we've seen some of these battles go either way uh late in the decision making process and and i think 
we also take a little bit of stock in how ready these kids are to make decisions. Sometimes when you set a date, it doesn't mean you're ready leading up to that date. Uh, a lot of kids sleep on it one more time and, and then they wake up the day of and like, okay, this is where I'm going to go. You know, so I'm, I'm not saying this is the case here uh, for Anderson, but I do think that when, when it feels this back and forth late in the game, that is something in my experience that that is a bit of a, a popular situation or scenario uh, to go into this decision. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, if he was making a visit this weekend and make it a whole lot easier for us in the recruiting industry, but most of these guys are sitting back and focusing on making that college commitment. But uh, I, I do think that the, the South Carolina offensive line class is, is going to be built well in 2023. There are obviously other targets I know we'll talk about today, even uh, on the board here. So I do think it, there is some solace in, Hey, Either way, whether he's a Gamecock or not, there's going to be some clarity sooner rather than later, and that allows you to readjust your board and move forward accordingly. Right, absolutely. Now, Marquis Anderson does have a teammate in three-star offensive lineman DJ Geth, who was also a Gamecock target throughout the process, and he committed to North Carolina earlier this summer as his dad did play basketball for the Tar Heels back in his day. So do you think that DJ Geth's commitment has had anything to do with Anderson potentially considering North Carolina more leading up to his commitment date? It certainly doesn't hurt, Andrew. I mean, this is something that uh, is is always talked about in recruiting. Hey, who's who is he close to, right? You know, and I think when it's not only your high school teammate but a a fellow trenchman, you know, those those guys are are different. Those guys roll together. Uh, so I do think that it could have a big impact. Hey, let's play together at the next level kind of pitch from, from one to the other. Um, so yeah, maybe, but I, I never really hear kids talk about that, like putting one school over the top. It's it's more of, Hey, this is kind of what we're getting in this package. If, if we do want to go to North Carolina, but it's never like the deciding factor package deals, teaming up and all that is great to talk about, but it, it never puts, one school well ahead of, of another in a race. It just becomes kind of a nice, interesting factor if, if he does pick North Carolina. Uh, but I do think that, you know, there's, there's certainly, you know, d- no downside to having uh, peer uh, recruiting success uh, in any way, shape or form, especially again, when it's your teammate and in your fellow offensive lineman, it definitely doesn't hurt. Right. And you got to imagine that North Carolina has potentially used that as part of their pitch to Marquis Anderson to come to play for Mac Brown and the Tar Heels up there in Chapel Hill. Hey there, Gamecock Nation. Hope you've been enjoying my interview with John Garcia Jr. up to this point in the show. But before I continue with the show, I do need to pass along a quick message from our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports information, where you'll find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including college football and NFL futures, regular season Major League Baseball, and of course, all of the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC all the way to boxing. Bet Online acts as a continuous source for all of your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and much, much more. So be sure to head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, to move on from one offensive line prospect to another, let's talk about four star offensive lineman Oluwata Simbabwe out of Maryland. Now, the last time I had you on the show, we talked about Bob Lade and how it's been hard to get a read on him because Bob Lade's not someone who's very active on social media like a lot of these other prospects. And you mentioned in our conversation 
that the race for his commitment seemed to be down to three schools, those schools being Ohio State, obviously a big-time premier program in college football, the home state team in Maryland, and South Carolina. Now that some time has passed since then, does it look like any of these schools maybe have either faded out of the race or have maybe taken the lead here behind the scenes for Bob Alley? Yeah, I think Ohio State has faded just because of circumstance. I mean, the, the Buckeyes, not only on the offensive line, but at a lot of positions, they've hit a huge summer streak and stride, and, and they could be close to full on, on the offensive line board. So it's it's nothing that Babalade did on his own end to maybe discredit Ohio State. But, yeah, I think the circumstances and waiting to make a commitment – later rather than sooner, sometimes that happens. You know, to be a great recruiting program, you also have to have uh, some things break your way in the good luck department. So I think that could be advantageous for South Carolina in particular. I think they're the clear counter to Maryland, which is, you know, he's a DeMatha Catholic kid. So, you know, the home state, hometown, all that kind of school with with all the connections uh, to DeMatha, whether it's coaches, former players, et cetera makes sense for Maryland, um, even though they haven't dominated recruiting the school or anything like that. And then South Carolina offers a little bit more of a, of a natural counter to that, you know, playing SEC football, something that he's talked about at a very high level. I, I saw one quote earlier this week where he said, it's just kind of different at South Carolina, the energy, the, the kind of resurgence and benefit of the doubt that kind of everyone at this point is giving to South Carolina. That that stuff matters relative to a school like Maryland or Rutgers where there's just not a whole lot of expectation, not a lot of buzz from recruits, from you know the national media, whatever it is, compared to a school like South Carolina where it's it's almost unanimous. I don't know if superstition is a big part of, of the Gamecock fan base, but I would almost start to worry like, man, everyone loves us right now. So what's what's going on here? Is this a little bit too much? But either way, Recruits see that and they recognize it. And and for a kid like that who doesn't say a lot to admit that there is a different vibe in a positive sense coming from Columbia, I do think that that's something that matters there in the end. And, and you talk about potentially missing on other targets uh, like like Anderson, it ups the onus uh, for South Carolina here in, in, in the, the Matha Catholic standout. So, yeah, I think he's always been a priority, um, but I do think that can be reinforced and reemphasized especially as some of these other options on his list don't appear at the same value that they did, you know, the last time I was on with you guys, certainly. Right. And obviously, Sacramento would like to selfishly get both uh, Bobolade and Anderson. But of course, if the Gamecocks aren't able to land Anderson, Bobolade becomes even that much more of an important target right. for them to land this upcoming weekend. Uh, now, another prospect that's committing this coming weekend is uh, four-star wide receiver Carmelo Taylor out of Virginia. Now, Taylor's a guy that South Carolina sort of threw their hat in the ring for back in late May, which led to him taking an official visit in June that seemed to go pretty well on Taylor's side of things. So I have a couple of questions for you regarding Taylor's upcoming announcement. How does South Carolina stack up right now against both Penn State and Virginia Tech? Those two teams sort of seem to be the other main contenders here for this recruiting battle. And also, was there any particular reason as to why Taylor pushed his commitment date back from July 25th to the 31st? Or is it another situation sort of like Leonard game where he just wants to have as many people attend as they possibly can? Yeah, well, I can't confirm that part of it. You know, I think sometimes you just need to be sure. You know, when, when there's kind of the expectation, hey, this is my, my school, at least internally, privately, w- within the family – 
do we do we need to talk about this more? You know, I, I do think some things like that often come into play. We've actually seen a lot of kids push their commitments back just a week or just a couple of days in, in some stretches. Like Malik Bryant just committed to Miami over Florida today, a kid out of IMG. He was scheduled to commit on Saturday. So just a couple days later, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. Lonergan's another good example. Jaden Rashada and now with, with uh, Carmelo as well. So, yeah, it's something that has become a little bit more popular. Kids just kind of need more time uh, to make these decisions. But I do think this doesn't hurt South Carolina's uh, potential to land uh, this kid. Uh, first of all, amazing prospect to, to, to read into, just incredibly fast, 10-6 in the 100-meter in the dash, big play wide receiver, the type of guy that you, you, you can easily identify as a fan base and say, oh, this I see. I see why they, they went out and, and, and offered this kid and, and tried to pull him in against the in-state school, Virginia Tech, and then Penn State, which is – always recruited this area well, right? From the Carolinas up to Washington, D.C. It feels like Penn State has tried to lay, you know, lay some claim to that territory. And they just lost a receiver. Like right before we got on, Georgia flipped uh, one of their top receiver commitments who's kind of known for speed. So you can understand Penn State having that same type of urgency to try um, to wrap up this recruitment. So maybe if he pushed it back multiple weeks or even a month, something like that, maybe it would be a little bit more um, cause for concern, I guess, with, with Carmelo. But I do think um, with it just being a couple of days, I do think this is something that uh, shouldn't change. I guess the expectation that South Carolina is in a really good spot here. Um, again, you know, the SEC allure, this offense that seems to be just totally changing from a perception standpoint relative to even last year. I think all those trends align with, with bringing in a, a big time wide receiver like this. So I would, I would expect South Carolina to be the selection here. And c- certainly compared to the last two O-linemen, we talked about the safer selection. If, if you're going to go from a prediction standpoint. Oh yeah, for sure. And South Carolina has got a lot of upperclassmen in the wide receiver room as well. So again, this is another recruiting battle that the Gamecocks would really like to win here to be able to get a talented freshman in that they can develop under coach Justin Steps tutelage, one of the best wide receiver coaches, in my opinion, at least in the entire country. Now, the last prospect who's committing this weekend is four-star edge defender Montique Rams from right here in Sumter, South Carolina. Now, I'll be honest myself, I feel pretty good about the Gamecocks' chances here getting Montique at the end of the day. He's visited the Gamecocks plenty of times up to this point, far more than any of the program that he has sort of had as a contender for his services in this process. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what type of skill set does he bring to the table as far as an edge rusher heading into college? He's kind of, Andrew, like, he's kind of how you draw it up, right? Six, five, six, six, two thirty-five, two forty. 240. I mean, just physically, I mean, this is like a young Javon Kinlaw on the hoof. And you're just like, man, this, this, I don't know where he's going to end up positionally, but this is the start. This is the foundation of what you want. Uh, and then you look at uh, his track record at Sumter uh, banner junior season, more than 20 tackles for loss, got involved in, in, in a handful of sacks as well. Um, and I think it, it just, it, again, it, it kind of, addresses the question like what is he going to be at the next level I, I think he could remain relatively lean play at 250 255 and stay as a new age edge where he can not only rush the passer but set the edge and beat blockers I think his his foundational trait is one-on-one he can beat the player assigned to block him whether it's with power 
lower body strength, leverage. I love the way he comes off the football, no matter where he's lined up. Um, so I, I think that can uh, allow you to have more three down value. Not only are you a pass rusher, but you're a legitimate run stuffer. You can really disrupt the flow uh, of a quarterback's cadence and, and his drop back thereafter. So I do like the the foundation of, of this kid's game, but I do wonder with that frame that, again, is just exactly how you would draw it up. You could also add 40 pounds to it down the line, and he could become your your kind of new age menacing interior SEC pass rusher where at, at 280, uh, he's wreaking havoc, even though he's he's a guy who's you know more comfortable, at least right now, playing on the outside. But yeah, he could be a hand in the dirt working against guards type of player. He's got the length, he's got the power and the quickness to, to really impact uh, that spot down the line at, at a school like South Carolina as well. And as you mentioned with the recruitment, my gosh, this would be a big miss if he commits anywhere but South Carolina in-state recruit has visited what, a dozen plus times on record. Uh, this this would be this would be a con- considerable miss, uh, but but I don't expect it at this point. I, I do think that he is South Carolina's to lose. You know, you wonder. I think Alabama's his most recent scholarship offer. You wonder if you know something like that factors in down the line. But if he sticks to this commitment timeline this weekend, things like that, I, I do think this lines up really well for the Gamecocks and on the field. He's he's got an intriguing ceiling, but the floor is pretty strong here as well. Well, that's definitely good to hear. And with Clayton White's scheme, he uh, likes to emphasize rush defense especially. So it sounds like either way, whatever position Monty Grams plays when he uh, attends South Carolina, if he comes to South Carolina, I should say, <laughs> hasn't happened yet. But it would definitely be a big get for Clayton White and the defensive coaching staff. Uh, so – South Carolina, they've got four targets that are announcing commitments this weekend, but they've also got a cookout event that they are hosting on Friday. Cookout events have, of course, become a big deal in college football recruiting in general as a way for prospects to be able to just kind of hang out with each other and kind of just honestly let their hair down, not be all serious and getting toward the facilities and everything. And there's going to be a lot of blue chip prospects in attendance for South Carolina, including five-star edge and track star Nicholas Harper. Now, South Carolina has been mentioned as much with Harper like some other schools. And in fairness, he's only visited South Carolina once, which was back in June of this past year, once all the COVID restrictions were lifted for coaches. But in an article back on July 9th where Harper did an interview with Sam Webb of 24-7 Sports, he said, quote, the Gamecocks have been my favorite school for a minute, end quote. Now, He's, of course, said some good stuff about a couple of schools, not just South Carolina. And, of course, this cookout is going to be more laid back. But, John, I do want to ask you, do us Gamecock fans have good reason to get excited about where this recruitment could potentially head? Or do we need to pump the brakes a little bit uh, pertaining to Harbor? No, get excited. I mean, he's he's the the freakiest unicorn in this class in terms of what he could bring, you know, uh, in terms of height, weight, speed. I mean, this is – the biggest track star I've ever seen probably in my life in, in terms of being 6'5", 240 and, and running, what, 10-2 in the 100. I mean, it's just he's an absurd prospect who's in no rush. So I think that's where you could create some optimism. If, if he was lining up a commitment in the coming weeks or so and saying, hey, I want to commit before my senior season, then, yeah, I think Michigan, Oregon, some of the schools that have been linked to him a little bit more consistently would probably – feel a little bit stronger of a possibility at this time. But if he's talking about December, maybe January or February before a decision is to be made, the schools that are, I guess, on the up and up 
should feel great. So, so your South Carolinas, your Miamis, you know, in this race should feel much better because there's more opportunity to visit. And then you're going to get an on-field impression that is still to be formed as opposed to, you know, we, we know what we're getting with, with the Michigan angle, you know, and some of these other schools on his list, not the case with South Carolina and some of these other schools. So yeah, if you're getting your second visit in as many years from a kid who, by the way, doesn't take a whole lot of visits. I, I don't think he's taken any officials to date, really taking his time with the recruiting process, wants to run track at the next level. We know the SEC is darn serious in that sport as well. And, and that's something that I'm sure Shane Beamer has already green lit uh, for, for Harbor uh, if and when he, he takes that next visit. So it'll be cool for him to get to do something that doesn't involve a camp or a track meet or anything like that as well. You know, I, I think these non-football recruiting events, you know, like barbecues and I think A&M's got like a pool party, there's cookouts, there's a big cat weekend at Auburn. All these events have become really important marker moments for uh, college football programs and recruiting because this this dead period is only lifted for a few days and the weekend only stretches once before August 1st and the next dead period is in. So a kid like Harbor, we know as a national recruit, top 10, top 15, whatever he is, depending on where you look, our rankings come out in a few weeks, by the way, uh, wherever you look, he's a highly regarded <laughs> guy. You know, he's got options. He could have went to any one of these cookouts, barbecues, pool parties, whatever it is, uh, county fair kind of events, and he picked South Carolina. So you you pair that with the quote, like you said, that he gave Sam about, hey, this is a school I've always paid attention to and really liked for a long time, and it being a return visit. Yeah, all that should give you some a cause to be hopeful with this recruitment, especially because there's such a long way to go. So every visit is big in this regard. He, he just doesn't take a whole lot of them in this obviously isn't an official visit. So you leave the door open for at least one more trip before a decision is to be made here. So absolutely a big deal. Anytime he takes a visit, chalk it up as a big deal in, in recruiting. So for South Carolina, uh, that that still holds true. Right. And I definitely agree with you on this aspect that if Sacramento wants to really be considered at the very end here, they definitely would probably need this process to play out longer and try to maybe get him on back yeah. to campus for maybe like a game or an official visit even during this upcoming season. Now, to move away from 2023, let's talk about um, an interesting hypothetical regarding Dante Reno, a four-star commit, obviously, that the Gamecocks got back on July 2nd. And he's been acting essentially as another recruiter for this coaching staff since then. But there's one question that won't be answered for a good while, which is whether or not he could reclassify to the 2023 class and enroll in college one year early, which apparently he has the credits to be able to do at this point. Now, no matter what decision he decides to make, this could also subsequently impact the Gamecocks' chances with four-star quarterback Jaden Bradford, who's out of IMG Academy, and he happens to be originally from Chapin, South Carolina, which is about a 30-minute drive away from campus. And he's also been to Carolina six times, so clearly there's a lot of mutual interest here. So, John, depending on what Dante Miro's final decision is regarding reclassification, how could this affect South Carolina's chances with Jaden Bradford at the end of the day? Look, it's it's hard. Let's let's go the other way and say Reno sticks in the 2024 class. It's hard to get two elite quarterbacks committed. It, it just is. We don't see it. it. It's like two or three schools a year are able to pull it off. I think in this class, 
Um, Alabama's got it with with Lonergan and Eli Holstein, and Miami's got it with Rashada, Emory Williams, and I think that's it. I think two schools have two quarterbacks committed. So it's very hard to do. So naturally, if Reno stays in the 24 class, it's going to be hard with Bradford, even though he's a South Carolina native, even though he's so familiar and feels like a priority for USC. The last time I talked to him, that was the first school that he brought up before Clemson and Penn State and some of these others. So, yeah, it would still be hard for any kid to, I guess, feel like the second quarterback in a class, especially, you know, a pretty good, confident kid like Bradford is. So I think in that regard, it would have a huge impact if Reno was to reclassify to 2023, because now you're you're erasing that entire narrative. Uh, and it also helps you rebound from the miss of, of Lonergan, who we just talked about. I mean, that was a big deal for USC. But now if, if, if uh, Reno reclassifies, it's like, oh, okay, everything is, is good and well in, in this quarterback room going forward now has a lot of uh, staggered talent and, and variety uh, when Spencer Rattler is, is all done uh, in Columbia. So I do think that w- would be a huge move for the program. But like you said, Andrew, very hard to do. Uh, it's just reclassifying at that position is not something we often see. But there are some things in Dante's favor. One, he's at a private school up in uh, the Loomis School up in the Northeast. So I think that helps because you can take extra classes and you can accelerate as need be. But it's really hard to know from from a just a human standpoint this early in that process. You know, when the last guy who did it was Quinn Ewers, we weren't talking about that at all this time last year. Uh, and, and he was already, you know, ahead of, of the pace of, of Dante Reno there. And it was just something that kind of came together last minute. And he ends up at Ohio State before transferring to Texas a, a year early. Um, before that, you can't even really think of a lot of guys who have done it. JT Daniels comes to mind going to USC early, but there's just not a whole lot of precedent there. Uh, so it's hard to start to think about that. But I will say that these quarterbacks are developed younger. And they're more aware, for, almost from a business standpoint, uh, as as to the benefits of doing something like that, especially with red shirts available, et cetera. It really could become something we see more of in spots, but it's still hard to execute from an academic standpoint. But if Dante's already potentially there from, from a credit standpoint, I do think it's something that he will consider. And it would be advantageous for Shane Beamer and company to kind of nudge him that way. You don't want to push for something like that because it's a big sacrifice missing that last year of high school, your last year as, you know, a kid in in, in some ways. Um, but it's something that from a business standpoint, you know, quarterbacks are built for. So uh, I do think that he, of, of the 24 quarterbacks, he looks like he's in the best shape to potentially do that. But he's not the only one we're hearing reclassification rumors about at this stage. So usually, again, in recruiting where there's smoke, there's a little bit of fire. Gotcha. Well, yeah, no, Dante Reno reclassified 2023 definitely could change things up potentially with Jane Bradford, but kind of like you mentioned that that's a, that's a big slippery slope to sort of try to climb in terms of projecting that far ahead. So definitely probably need to let some more time pass and see sort of how all that plays out. But, um, but John, yeah, um, great stuff on the recruiting end and appreciate all of your insight with this upcoming weekend being a big weekend again regarding four different blue chip prospects the Gamecocks are going after. If you want more news on the national landscape of high school recruiting pertaining to college football, you can follow John Garcia at John Garcia underscore junior on Twitter. John, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. All right, Gamecock Nation, with all of that being said, 
That is going to do it for today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed my interview with Sports Illustrated's John Garcia Jr. He provided a ton of insight as to what Gamecock Nation should potentially expect with all these blue chip targets announcing their commitments this upcoming weekend and where they kind of stand with Nicholas Harper and what could happen with Dante Ramirez's reclassification. What are your thoughts on all of this? Do y'all feel confident in all of these prospects committing to South Carolina, or is there a couple guys that maybe give you some cause to pause? How would you feel about Nicholas Harper maybe pushing out the process and possibly taking another visit to South Carolina this upcoming fall, if all that works out? And how do you see Dante Reno's potential reclassification situation working out? I want to hear your thoughts down below in the comments section if you're watching this on YouTube. But if you're listening to this on audio podcast, wherever you get your podcast daily, you can also feel free to shoot me a message at a lion underscore SC. And I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as I see them. And as always, if you've enjoyed the Locked On Gamecocks podcast and you want to get more on the entire SEC conference, then make Locked On SEC your second listen every day, where host Chris Gordy and the local experts of Locked On take you across the SEC in just 30 minutes. Again, make Locked On SEC your second listen, of course, after the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that's going to do it for me on today's show. I hope that you all have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll catch you on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.